Every child matters and every life that we save or change matters. And I think that is the important thing in the end. And even if you say it's a drop in the ocean, yeah, but still it makes a difference. We need the best people who can really work efficiently and with little time have the maximum of output. Well, what a different episode this is going to be as I talk with Adrian Furster. He's the CEO of Save the Children Switzerland. Now, I had the opportunity of meeting Adrian because we're doing a live music and fundraising event right here in Zurich on December 11th. And I thought, I think this is also a good opportunity to talk about the world of work of NGOs and of Save the Children, not only because I'm genuinely interested to learn a little bit more about that, but also because this podcast is about showcasing different professions, different needs, different paths. And I am a firm believer that the future world of work is all about how we can be creative in designing different paths, different careers for ourselves that will change in time, depending on where we are, what we want, and which direction we want to go. But anyway, enough of that for now. Let's tune into the conversation with Adrian, get to hear more about his story and about Save the Children. Thank you very much, uh, Paola. Yeah, it is a privilege to be working for an NGO. Uh, and probably it's the fact that I'm uh, the fact that I'm ended up in an NGO is sort of basically rooted probably in my, my personal story that I grew up in South America and saw the differences between rich and poor and played as a privileged kid of an expat in the favelas with the children of of of, of poor people uh, who are at the disadvantage, and that that sort of probably was very much ingrained in in me. And at the age of 20, I took this decision that I really want to commit my life to the cause of other people who are not as privileged as I am and decided not to pursue my legal career also that I uh, could have. And uh, yeah, so basically I ended up in, in development work from the very beginning mm-hmm. after my studies. Yes. And so it was it was a natural, it, it sounds like it came as a very natural type of decision but how how challenging was it nonetheless for you in terms of saying because it, it is for most of us you know when we leave university say okay which direction to go or not to go uh where to experiment explore was it for you like a an obvious thing or you wanted to try something else out before you actually jumped into the, the world of the ngos it was a very conscious decision and it was a very challenging one. I studied law, but I never worked one day as a, in, in the legal profession. I worked for three years for an insurance company doing all kind of management uh, stuff. Mm-hmm. And the moment I left for my further studies in, in Great Britain and then to Africa for 10 years, I knew that it is sort of what I'm doing now is career suicide, where I just realized uh, if I now leave and uh, become an NGO worker somewhere in Africa, we'll never try uh, to go back to, to the legal uh, career, you know. So I just knew this is going to be decisive for me. But I was so convinced that this is the right thing to do. And it, it was one of those convictions that I kept for the whole time uh, up to now. And uh, it, it is sort of a different type of career, if you right. want to say so. Uh, and it's not a career that is based on, you know, high prestige and high status and high income, but it's maybe a career uh, that is maybe rewarded with a sense of purpose or a sense of doing the right thing. And also a, a lot of, um, you know, encounters with people and with cultures and circumstances that are very enriching. So 
in a way you're rewarded in a different way and i never regretted it yeah well that's fantastic and actually i smiled when you said career suicide because it's and i'm glad you repositioned that because it's it's a different it's a different type of career but it is nonetheless you know you're spending your your time you're spending and you're you're putting your 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 life to to a great extent you know to work for others um and and I, I firmly believe that it is a different way of just packaging, you know, your values, your beliefs, who you are, your qualifications in a direction that really speaks to you. And that's very rewarding to you, you know, um, besides the monetary aspect. But I think there are many people out there. It's not only they don't do careers just for the for money or for many. It's the sense of purpose as well. Right. But I do think the NGO environment is, at least for me, I think, you know, having a little bit more of um your sense help us understand what it's like to to work in an NGO in general, um, and then of course specifically save the children. Because again, coming from corporate, uh, uh, that's my background. I, I have a very different vision of the world of work with a very clear business model, even though the different businesses and industries. But let's say that the, the dynamics of it are pretty straightforward when you talk about business. Help me understand what's your business like because it's still a business, but it's a very different one. What is a business like? I mean, yeah, in the end, it, it is all about you know the impact we can make. So uh, I think that is uh, the the thing that we have to have an eye on: how much can we really make a difference with what mm. we do? I think that is the main thing. It's not about you know income and profit but it's about impact and how to communicate that so that is maybe one of the the big challenges in our sector is is not uh, you know what do we yeah. do with our money there is always enough need in the world but how do we communicate what we are doing uh we have a compelling vision and we want to invite people to be part of that and and join our vision and be, be part of that difference that we make uh, but we have to translate the the situation of those children in those countries to the people here in Switzerland and explain to them what it means to be in those situations out there. And then, of course, also explain what is our role in it, what is our added value as an NGO, because um, we develop worldwide common approaches of best practice. Uh, we bring expertise to the field, into, into the project development. We have all those safeguarding and fraud protection systems in place. Mm -hmm. We audit the project and bring back reports, and all this has to be communicated to people to understand why 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 is, NG, is the NGO here in Switzerland so important. And yeah, sometimes individual donors think uh, it's easy to implement the project in Africa nowadays with globalization, communication, and traveling is so easy. So they start implementing project themselves and uh, and think they can save costs and and be more efficient and. Most of them realize at some point how complex this business mm -hmm. is, how complex implementation of project is, because it's not about, you know, just finding a technical solution for safe drinking water, for example, but it's about behavioral change. It's mm -hmm. about you know, the cultural perspective of disease, for example. And so uh, it's not as easy. And some of them then realize that if they try to implement it themselves, they either don't have the same impact or they we even have higher costs than if they would work through us. So this whole communication aspect is a, is a big part of our business, if you want. Yes. Right. Yeah. And that's fascinating. Um, also, what you were mentioning, because I do sense, and it's just an intuition, um, 
that more and more people are interested um, in that area, in that space of the NGOs. And there is a perception that it may be a relatively, not easy, but let's say if there's a need, you have the resources that I'll just go and kind of do it. Um, my perception has also been that there are so many players as well, nonetheless, in a certain territory, even in a territory of need, that sometimes I wonder how is that collaboration as well happening on the ground to make sure that, um, I'm talking about years ago, I had met somebody who was working in NGOs probably 20 years ago. And he was saying one of the challenges is also logistically in terms of not only how to get the projects working in, in certain countries where you're targeting the projects or where the projects are needed, but also because there are other players there, um, maybe even other NGOs that may be operating in similar areas, fields, et cetera. Tell, if it's possible to maybe, you know, shed some light a bit on how that ecosystem uh, is, is orchestrated uh, while each one maintaining your own independence, if you see my point. Yeah, I think we would be surprised if we saw how well NGOs cooperate on the ground because they're, um, they're much closer to the beneficiaries, to the children, and they're much more aware what is really important. And there is a growing number of NGOs, that is true, but I think it's a positive aspect because it shows that in those countries, civil society is, is getting active and is trying to change situations that maybe the government doesn't take care of, and so they take it into their own hands. And those local NGOs particularly, they're very much self-governed by local people, and they're great actors to cooperate with. And so we, we welcome that. And uh, mm -hmm. there is regular meetings on the ground for different clusters, we call it, for different sectors, like the drinking water sector, the education sector, or the humanitarian sector. There is regular meetings of coordination. And there's a lot of uh, collaboration as well, particularly in humanitarian crisis as well, where very informally NGOs cooperate. So it's not perceived as a competition on the ground. If you want, theoretically, there's a competition in the fundraising market right. in the north, of course, in the global north. And then at the same time, if you see how small the whole sector is compared to the rest of the economy, uh, we're not really in competition. So there's mm. still enough resources there as well. And even in, you wouldn't believe it, but even in fundraising, we cooperate quite a lot. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that's that's fantastic to really see it as a, a collaborative um, network even of, of similar players, but it is within collaboration as opposed to a, a, a competition, you know. Uh, although, yeah, grants and maybe fundraising that could be a little bit more as you were saying, maybe a little bit more complex, but it sounds to me that it's still there's quite a bit of cooperation happening there too. Absolutely. A good example is institutional donors. You know, when big institutional donors put out a, a, a grant and uh, we see, well, alone this, this chunk is too big, this project that they want to see implemented is too big, so we build a consortium together with others and then together submit the proposal. So in that sense also, uh, it is interesting to collaborate with others, yeah. Yeah. and use each other's strength and expertise and complement each other. Right. And you were mentioning before that, uh, if you look at the economics of it, if you don't mind, I just pivot quickly to to that point, because then, of course, it triggered my curiosity. <laughs> it's still, it's, it's probably a drop in the ocean, uh, of course, compared to the bigger uh, economic sectors that we're, we're talking about. But give us a sense, first of all, save the children. I think, uh, uh, you know, it is 
when I was researching it years ago, when I first started, let's say, donating um, to the UK, like we were talking about earlier uh, today, I mean, it's one of the oldest as well uh, organizations, it was, I think, founded in 1919, you know, the way back then in, in, in the UK. Um, but yeah, so maybe give us a little bit of a sense of Save the Children, etc., and the number part as well. Like, so it helps us put into perspective this world of work. What, what are the per perimeters? Yeah, you researched well. Uh, we were founded in 1919 uh, in the after the First World War uh, when... Uh, our founder, Eglantine Jepp from the UK, saw the need of children in post-World War I Germany and started supporting these children. She was also the one who drafted the first child rights charter. Okay. And the child rights charter for children from the UN is based on Save the Children's first draft. And the UN Child Rights Convention is based on, on the work of Eglantine Jepp. And uh, in now, today, we are globally a well-coordinated, federated network of 30 independent members. And uh, we have a common ambition that every child survives, learns, and is protected. We are present in 122 countries uh, with all those development projects on education and health and nutrition. And uh, Save the Children Switzerland was only founded 15 years ago and supports 40 projects uh, all over the globe. And yeah. our, our strengths and our specialities uh, in a, from a technical perspective is migration, children in slums and children in emergencies. That's sort of where we sort of contribute to the wider network with our expertise. Wow. Okay. So 15 years in, in Switzerland, and, and we were talking a bit earlier that perhaps not many people know Save the Children as well as maybe some other uh, NGOs, but 15 years, it's already, pretty, I mean, it's its its quite some time it's, on the territory. It is quite young for us with NGO, if you see okay. other, other NGOs who have been there for a lot longer and are much better known, but I think we have a really good cause and we were able to really mobilize people in Switzerland to support us and we have a growing base of supporters because mm -hmm. they see the, how, how much impact we have. And so we are now in, at the office in Zurich. We have 50 staff working for those projects and uh, with those donors. Mm -hmm. And uh, we keep growing, yes. Well, that's good. That's good. And you're involved in 40 projects, you say, as, as uh, 40 projects save the children. That we sort of, yes, support directly. But then in many others, we would just give our expertise because in that, in that network of, of Save the Children, we're very collaborative. We, we have calls all the time. If you need any kind of resources, people help each other we have direct access to all the we have 50 country offices worldwide and we can directly contact them ask them questions they can ask our experts questions we can uh, call also the center in the uk mm -hmm. where they have a technical center and, and and get support from that side so it's very collaborative and that makes it very interesting as well and very effective wow, okay so it sounds like the culture is um is very particular in in and say the children is it like yes it is it, it is a cool thing just to give you an example yeah. any other save the children member creates a nice video for marketing or whatever purposes we can just take it from the their website without even asking a question the, the culture is copy with pride so we just all the material that we create is always available for anybody within the network 
and that makes it very efficient. We don't even have to ask questions. Uh, right now, today, we had a, a, a press release on 100 days uh, change of regime in Afghanistan. We just copied from the German website and use mm -hmm. it and publish it on our website, and everybody's fine with that. And they do the same on our website, yes. Well, that's fantastic. Okay, and do you guys have like global meetings or virtual meetings where you, the heads of the different uh, Save the Children entities come together and you kind of, I don't know, I keep thinking of business like, like your three-year plan or, you Absolutely. know, how you're allocating the funds and, and what's the yes. best way of... of yes, um, we meet once a year as members uh, together for a longer gathering. This is the members meeting where we also, from, according to our bylaws, have votes on the strategy and mm -hmm. on the targets that we um, uh, aim at. And uh, we have now mm -hmm. one strategy for the next three years that is coordinated. And there mm -hmm. is one, what they call global funding framework, where we make sure that the, the contributions we receive, the, the targeted contributions are also really according to the needs in the different countries that match as well. So we have a, a common strategy, we have common targets, we have a global funding framework. Of course, there's a lot of coordination that still has to be done and there's some challenges with, you know, just getting everybody on, on the same page. But in general, there is a huge amount of, of coordination and collaboration going on and we meet once a year. But then also there's, of course, the global program directors would have regular calls. Nowadays with COVID, it's all virtual. The fundraising directors have regular calls. The HR directors have regular calls mm -hmm. to just exchange and, and see how we can develop and uh, share our, our insights and our resources. Right, right. And and going back to the economics of it, uh, we kind of started from from there in terms of like it's it is a drop in, in the ocean. Um, and and if if it's okay to sort of get that sense of when we're talking about the the fundraising, for example, or the type of resources that uh, you are able to mobilize through the grants or fundraising efforts or etc. Give us a ballpark figure of what are we talking about uh, here in terms of in terms of the numbers, if if, if that's Just okay for with you. Switzerland or for the whole network. Whatever is is whatever works best for you for the whole network, I think would be an interesting one. And then if you want to zoom in on Switzerland, uh, absolutely. For the whole network, we talk. I would have to look up the figures for the okay. beneficiaries, but it's. I think it was like 40 million children worldwide in some way benefit from our work. Mm -hmm. We raise globally about 2.4 billion US dollar. But I have to say there's a lot that also goes into some of the largest members like the US into their local market. They have own domestic programs. Same for us. We have a domestic program as well in Switzerland for children in the asylum sector. Part of our income goes to that, so it's not all on the international right. level, but some members have quite large domestic programs as well. And in Switzerland, we raise about 25 million Swiss francs a year. 25 million. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Is that, a, what is your judgment on that? Is that? I think it's not as important how we value that because it's all very relative. I worked before for an NGO that was much, much, much smaller 
And we always felt like, wow, we're so small. What can we do? And then there was other NGOs that were even 10 times smaller than that one. And they looked up to that one and said, wow, you're so big. <laughs> and so I think the thing is, what can we do for children? And I think every child matters and every life that we save or change matters. And I think that is the important thing in the end. And even if you say it's a drop in the ocean, yeah, but still it makes a difference for those children that we yes. help. It makes a difference. And I think that is what keeps us going. And of course, there's a lot that we cannot do, but we, we look at what we can do. Fantastic. Fantastic. So, so tell me, what does it take to work for an NGO and be successful at Save the Children? What type of, yeah, what type of talent typically would you be looking for? Um, I can imagine you have to be internally very driven and motivated and, and make a difference. And, uh, and you know, it's drop by drop, bit by bit, child by child type of thing um, where, where you can make an impact. But give me a sense of, you know, if you were to hire your top talents, what would that person be like yeah that it's very different depends on which department uh, i think in general what is underestimated is the high skills that we require people think oh it's working for an ngo the gift the money comes in anyway they don't have to work for that and they just don't realize that we have to be extremely efficient with with our gifts because we may want to make sure that as much as possible goes to children and so we need the best people who can really work efficiently and with little time have the maximum of output and that's what people don't realize that we need people with high skills and that is sometimes very hard to recruit uh, people who are really well qualified and then are willing to work for a salary that is considerably lower than in the in the market um, depending on the department um, you would have people coming from other companies like in fundraising you need fundraising specialists that may come from the NGO sector, but may also come from outside. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas in the global programs department, where it's about managing those grants and those projects, we very often have students straight from their master's degrees coming as an intern and then maybe become a, a, an account manager or then even a team leader who do their career internally with us straight from their studies. Because that okay. is something you can't really learn elsewhere. The, the managing of a development program, uh, no other company sort of does that in the way we do it. So how do you do it? I'm very curious now. <laughs> you oh. triggered my, my curiosity on the development projects. What's the, um, yeah, what often, do they learn? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we often send our staff that manages program to do further studies at the Technical University of Zurich. There's a, a, a program called... Uh, um, um development cooperation uh, program that you can do um and it's a lot about how do you program in those societies it's about culture it's about there's a an approach a technical approach also how you build up such a program so that it makes sense that it's logic in itself that you have the right uh, monitoring uh, schemes uh, set in place, the right key performance indicators, that kind of thing. And, and it's very complex. Mm -hmm. And so you can do a master's degree at the Technical University of Zurich, but most students come with a different degree and then they go for further training there. Okay. And, and, and then what type of experience would they get on the ground? And for example, if they join you, they would be running a, a development project. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the 
projects are always run by the local people in the country offices. They are sort of the, the head of programs. And from our side, it would be the input and advice. Mm -hmm. And of course, by asking questions, we also trigger questions on their side and reflections. So it's like a, a negotiating together and thinking through those programs and how they make sense from the theoretical side, maybe, but also from the practical side. Um, yeah, what shall I say? Mm -hmm. and, 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 and let's say, so if I understood correctly, let's say the org design, well, I'm using a technical word here of, of your structure. Um, it, it seems I've understood you have a fundraising component where there are very specific skills that you're looking for as well. Um, and then you have the projects Mm -hmm. component um probably a gna uh, let's say a office type of management uh what are the departments let's say the functions that you would typically have in in your in your structure yes you mentioned the two largest ones it's, it's, it's the, the fundraising marketing public marketing, relations mm -hmm. department we have the global programs and within the global programs of course the national programs that we do in switzerland with the children in the asylum sector then we have a, a small HR department and the finance and admin also is a smaller department. And mm -hmm. then, of course, the people who do the national programs, they are an, an own department as well, if you want. Um, okay. Yeah, that's a, that's about our structure. And then we make sure that people who are in touch with programs, they also get regularly to go to the field. And it's one of the things that we do for the development of these staff. Uh, some of them we encourage uh, to really go for a while into the field. We second them to other members of the international network so they get the, that they get a certain field experience. Because on the long run, if you want to do a career in the NGO, in the programs part, you need field experience. Oh, of course. And let's talk about that a second. Careers in the NGOs. What would what would a path look like to get to your role, for example, or to get to a role of significant uh, responsibility and accountability, which equals usually um, leverage, a higher leverage, right, in in in, in advocating and advocacy, or mm. also like in very concrete um, uh, development projects that that have a, an important impact. What would it take what does it take to build that career what type of steps do you think it's very funny how different the careers are of of, of my fellow ceos here in, in switzerland when i talk to them um, some of them come really from marketing or even finance uh, but quite a few also come from the programmatic side who have really been in the field to, to the field for a longer time i mean if you always work in fundraising you don't necessarily need to have been somewhere out there for, for a longer time, but it's always good to understand what is uh, happening in those countries and how children are. But it's not necessarily that you have to have worked uh, abroad for a longer time. Whereas if you're in programs, I think uh, it makes a huge difference whether you really know what your fellows uh, from the country offices talk about, what their their uh, constraints are, what mm -hmm. their challenges are, uh, how the cultures sort of work differently it, it is a huge advantage. And our global programs director, he has worked many years in different countries. And that, and that is certainly an advantage. And mm -hmm. what comes with it is also a certain network within those country offices. If you have been longer in the, in the sector, you know a lot of people and that gives you good contacts and connections. And that is important as well. I, I would imagine, right, like um, 
your line of business is very much on, like we were mentioning earlier, like on relationships, on the on, on the network, on the on the connections. I mean, as much as we were talking many industries, automation, auto, automation, digitalization, innovation, all, all very important things in terms of making our work more efficient to a great extent. But in certain industries, it's wiping out jobs literally as well. I would imagine that, you know, within um, humanitarian related uh, sectors, uh, the human component is, is still probably the number one component to make things happen. I mean, you, it always is the people who make the difference as in any organization. If you have great people and we have great people, it's a lot of fun to work with and you really see things moving forward. And at the same time, technology has become more and more important. We are making ourselves huge steps in, in digitalization. I mean, the whole remote work, uh, everybody was forced to do that due to the COVID crisis. Uh, but also in other areas, we just see how we can be more efficient by being going more uh, into the digital and technology um, sector. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, our fundraising is changing considerably. Our digital fundraising is increasing enormously. We're one, one of the number one organizations in Switzerland and worldwide in digital fundraising. Whereas the traditional fundraising with the payment slips, as we like it a lot in Switzerland, it will still be there for another 10, 20 years, but it, it is on the decrease. Mm. So uh, we have to change in that. And there, of course, technology will play a much uh, more important role than it used to. Well, here we are. That's the end of part one of my conversation with Adrian Furster, CEO of Save the Children Switzerland. Make sure you tune into part two and you subscribe to the World of Work podcast. And by the way, if you're in Zurich, check out the live music and fundraising event we're doing on December 11th. Until the next time, as always, do take good care.